this morning uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 16 is what we'll be reading. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Listen to the Word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Let's start this morning with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just ask You uh, to be at work through Your Word. Uh, Your Word is living and active. It has been breathed out by You. The Holy Spirit works through the Word. The Word Uh, exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would be pleased to build up your church, not only today, but in the coming year through the Word of God, that the Spirit would be active here because the Word of God is being heard and we would be a people who obey it. Give us the Holy Spirit in greater measure that we might walk in in the ways of the Lord and obey the commands that we have in Scripture. We just pray these things, our great and mighty triune God. Amen. So it's been my habit for uh, a number of years, actually, on the last Sunday of the year, the Sunday between uh, Christmas and New Year, to preach on reading through the Bible. Well, I couldn't preach on reading through the Bible the last Sunday of the year because that was Christmas. So I have to now do it the first Sunday of the year. Uh, Why do I do this? I, I make this challenge every year. Uh, to read your Bible, but specifically to read your Bible through in the entire year. I do this because it was influential in my life. As a young man, I remember a pastor coming and preaching and challenging us uh, to read through our Bible in a year. And the first time I attempted it, I was young. I was probably nine or ten years old. It took me longer than a year. It took me about a year and a half. But it was a challenge that stuck with me. I haven't done it every year since then. But when when I was a youth pastor, the pastor that I was working with, who was mentoring me, had been mentored by that same pastor who I had heard the sermon from years before. And so the pastor that was mentoring me every year, in fact, I can tell you what he's preaching on right now today, reading through the Bible in a year. And every year since then that I've been a pastor preaching, I've sought to to bring the same challenge uh, at the end of the year. I do have a confession to make. I did fail miserably this year at reading through the Bible in a year. Um, I tried something different, a different reading program, and it and it just did not work. And I have no excuses. I'm not bringing this as one who's 
perfect in all of his Bible reading, but it's like anything. When you, when you fail, when you don't accomplish the goal, you, you just get back up and you try it again. And so uh, this year again, I'm going to start with, okay, I'm going to try to read through the Bible in a year. And I want to bring that challenge to you. If you're, if you're cooking and you burn the dinner miserably, you don't say, that's it, I'm never going to eat ever again. You probably don't say, I'm never going to cook ever again, either. Same way with reading your Bible. If you miss a day, if you miss some time, if you've fallen out of the habit, now's a great time to start back up again. And that's simply the challenge this morning. Just read your Bible in the new year. Just read your Bible. Pick a time, pick a place, uh, pick a program. I'm going to recommend reading the Bible in a year because uh, then you'll know that you got to everything. Uh, But do something in terms of regular Bible reading. Uh, If you're big on New Year's resolutions, make it your New Year's resolutions. If you're not big on New Year's resolutions, don't call it a New Year's resolution and just do it in the new year anyways. Read your Bible. So we're going to walk through this passage to see why Scripture is important. We want to acknowledge that the passage in here nowhere has the command directly stated to us, read your Bible. But I think it is one of the implications. If... If Scripture is God's Word breathed out, given to us, don't I need to read it? Don't I need to to be in the Word? We have such an embarrassment of riches when it comes to, to access to the Word of God. Paul and Timothy would have had scrolls. And, and they probably wouldn't have had all of Scripture or at least all of Scripture that was written up to that time on these scrolls, because they were big and lumpy. So they probably had a few copies. Churches, just like synagogues, probably had one copy or so. Still, in places today, like in China, sometimes the church has one copy of a Bible, and they will carefully tear out sections of it. And I've heard stories where they, they, they send home various sections during the week for people to read. And so it'd be like this week, John might get Ezekiel and, and the Bertolette family might get Hebrews because I like Hebrews and the Furman family might get Romans. And imagine that we come back next week and we all had to switch it all up. You, we just have an embarrassment of riches because all of us today have easy access to a Bible, not only in print, but now on our, on our phones. You can carry 20 copies of Scripture, 20 translations in your Bible apps. But do we read it? Do we know Scripture? Downloading the app doesn't mean you know Scripture. First, this morning, read your Bible because the days are evil and scary. So you'll notice here Paul talks about his persecution, but he also expects believers to be persecuted. You, however, had followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that, that happened to me at Iconium, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you like underlining in your Bibles, that might be something to underline. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. 
Timothy knows Paul. Timothy's followed Paul. You'll see this. He's followed his teaching, my conduct, he says, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy has literally walked and traveled with Paul. He's been mentored by Paul. He's read scripture with Paul. He's heard Paul preach. Um, And Paul here tells Timothy, you've seen this. You know what I've been through. Expect that it's coming on you. And then goes on and says, stand firm on the Word of God. I think in our day there's two symptoms that tend to manifest themselves. One is we don't think that the church will ever have hard times. We've been so blessed in in America. And so we begin to think that that is the norm that churches shouldn't go through hard times, that Christians should never suffer, that there won't be hardship. And if there's hardship going on, there must be something wrong with me and my Christian life. And so we have sort of a, a, a lightened version of the prosperity gospel, that if I believe in Jesus, things will go well and there will never be hardship. And that's just not what Scripture teaches. The second symptom that I think we often have in our time is, is sort of a a persecution complex. We've enjoyed so many blessings in America, such freedom of religion. And, and so the minute anyone, anywhere, pushes back, the minute someone doesn't like us as Christians or they reject a Christian ethic or the Christian teaching or, or they try to, try to prevent us from doing something or speaking out or they, they force someone to bake a cake against their will for their religious convictions we immediately cry, persecution, persecution, this is horrible. I admit many of those situations are difficult and horrible, but but you have to put this in a global perspective. We really, as the church, don't know what it's like to suffer, like churches right now that are meeting in places in China, in places in Russia where they're not even allowed to evangelize on the street anymore in places like India where it may not be against the government, but there are places where where local people will beat up people and burn churches just because Christians are there. And that doesn't even begin to talk about what goes on in Africa and places in South America and elsewhere. If we desire to live a godly life, persecution should be expected. We tend to sometimes lament, oh, the days are evil. Oh, look at how horrible things are. Look at where our country has gone. Look at the evil in the world around us. And that is certainly true. But it's no different than in Paul's day and age. There was never this this golden era where the church was never had difficulties or persecution, where there was never uh, evil around people in the world. We tend to see things as only getting worse. And maybe, maybe some of that happens as, as we get older. We, we yearn for the good old days. Even in my family now, with Christmas, we got a bunch of technology. And we, we kind of joke, we yearn for the good old days where technology was simpler and we could understand it. You know, and the Game Boys, you just plugged in the game. I didn't have to download apps. It's natural to yearn for simpler times. But at the same time, notice here, evil abounded. Look at verse uh, 13. When evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, 
deceiving and being deceived. If you look down in chapter 4, look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Myths. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, Paul says, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. Second Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. If Paul can say that about his day, there's evil around us, there's false teachers, there's imposters. How much more should we expect it in every day and age of the church? There is, in a sense, no golden era of church history, and there is, in a sense, no era where where things have not been bad, where evil is not abounding. Our, Our situation, the anxieties that we face going into 2017, what's going to happen with Russia? Will we go back to a cold war? Will we end up in some kind of war again? Will there be a terrorist attack? Maybe anxieties about the church. Look at what's happening in America. How many preachers we have that just are not sticking to the Word of God. This has been going on for centuries. Since the foundation of the church. And what is Paul's solution to the people of God? But you, Timothy... Stand firm. Remain. Anchor yourself on the Word of God. What is the solution as we face these problems and these crises in 2017? Anchor your life in the Word of God. Notice Paul talks about these apostors, these fakes, these, these posers, by their very nature, it, it means that, that they look legitimate. They act legitimate. But they're phonies. They're liars. He says evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Then notice it says that they will be deceiving and being deceived. There are people out there who... Their purpose in life is to deceive you. There are people that have ministries that are deceptive. They are telling you lies. How do we judge that? This is not Tim Bertolette thinking he's so smart that he sees through all these things. We judge it by the unyielding measure, unbending ruler of the Word of God. They deceive people. They twist the Scriptures. But notice it also says they deceive themselves. It says deceiving, that's the active, they're doing it, and being deceived, that's that's the passive. It's being done to them. You cannot often tell if someone is deceiving you by measuring their level of sincerity. 
there are some people sometimes you can tell they're, they're throwing you lies. You can tell when they say they love you or they're bringing you the truth or whatever it might be. You can, you can just kind of see through that. You know, maybe there's a twinkle in their eye. Their, their grin just looks like, yeah, they're kind of a, a shady uh, person. My, my apologies, but the caricature would be sort of the, you know, the used car salesman trying to, uh, to, to pull one over on you. But then there are people who in their deceptions and their preaching and their teaching, they really believe these things. They have really bought into them. People that preach lies are often very nice people. Kind, even. They genuinely believe these things. They genuinely think what they're trying to do for you is actually helping. Why? Because they themselves have been deceived. We might say the phrase, you know, they've drank the Kool-Aid themselves. You can't measure whether someone is in the truth by how sincere they look. By, by how passionate they are when they preach. Do they, do they get everybody excited and worked up and, and pour their heart into this? You measure it by the Word of God. Many false teachers sincerely believe what they are teaching. They sincerely believe they are not misleading people. And so we need to be on our guard. I've been told that the way the Secret Service uh, trains their agents to spot counterfeit is by knowing the original. In other words, if we wanted to teach you how to, how to spot a counterfeit $100 bill, we would not lay out in front of you a hundred different counterfeits and, and explain to you why each one is counterfeit. Because someone could come up with a new kind of counterfeit that would be 101 and you might not be able to spot it. But if you know the original, if you have looked over it and peered into it with a magnifying glass and you can see the subtleties of the color and the way the lines curve and all of those things that they, they put in the bill to protect from, from counterfeiting, some things that we probably don't even know about because they keep them secret. They spend hours as agents pouring over the original so that when a counterfeit comes before them, they can spot it near instantaneous. When a new counterfeit comes up, they're not caught off guard. Wow, gee, I've never seen one like this before. No, because they know what the original looks like. How do you and I stand against evil times and days where there are imposters who are deceiving and being deceived. We need to get into the original. Anchor ourselves in the Word of God. Know for yourself what the Scriptures say. We preach and teach the Scriptures here. We, we prepare. We study. We, we do Sunday school classes so that you and I can learn the Word of God. But you need to also read it for yourself. Dig into it. You know how you get those, those big, awesome cheeseburgers that have the cheese melted on them and they have the, they have the bacon dripping down through them and... And, and, you know, there's, 
maybe you like ketchup on it and it's just you bite into it and, and the juices just ooze into your mouth and now you're all going to check your watches to see when lunch is. But, but when you get a real burger, a gourmet burger, you don't just sit there and look at it and say, that's, that's really nice. You don't just talk with your spouse over dinner and, and leave it there on the plate and wow, isn't this just so wonderful. You... You dig into it. You, you feast on it. And, and your, your mouth just waters as you take it in. Oh, that we would be like that with the Word of God. Hungry for it. Hungry for the Word of God. Second, this morning, read the Bible because it makes you wise unto salvation. If you are worried about the future, that's the first thing. Read the Bible because it protects us against evil. It comforts us. It assures us. The second thing is read the Bible because the Bible makes you wise unto salvation. It also makes you wise in the growing up of the salvation that you have. So, Paul tells Timothy, continue in the faith. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from where or from whom you have learned it. He says here, continue in what you have learned. Firm. Firmly believed. It's this idea of of remaining. Don't move on from it. Anchor your life in the Lord Jesus and the confession of faith that you have in Him so that you do not move from there. One of the the images that is popular in our culture right now, as you think about images and illustrations of the Christian life, is, is the idea of the journey. The journey of the Christian faith. There was a day and time where that was that was good imagery. Pilgrim's progress is all about the journey of the Christian life to his heavenly home. But today, oftentimes, when I hear people talk about the journey of the Christian life, it's sort of like, it's like a, a quest. You start somewhere, and then you move on from there, and you don't necessarily know what's coming down the road, and you're, you're an adventurer. You're an explorer. And you're not walking the paths that, that Christians have walked for generations before. You're, striking out on your own. You need to find your way. It's, it's, it's this idea of, of the unknown. Don't stay where you are. Wander. There's sort of a, there's sort of a, a, a youth element to it, maybe sort of a hipster element to it, just kind of that, that's what's cool. Wandering. Walking the path. Striking out on your own. Finding your own way. Reinventing things that have been tried and true for for hundreds of years in the Christian life and faith. That is not what Paul tells Timothy Christian growth is like. He says, remain. That place that you started with that confession in the Lord Jesus Christ, remain there. Anchor yourself in it. Now, he doesn't mean that we're not going to grow or come to new understandings or see things in the Word of God or, or better understand certain truths or, or have them be more alive in our life. But he also means we're not going to depart from where we started. 
Growing in the Christian life is like anchor. And those roots anchor into the soil where it was first planted. And as it grows, it, it, it flourishes. You and I are not to be journeymen. We are to be trees. Anchoring ourselves in the Word of God. In those truths that are, that are unchanging. He says, remain continue in what you have learned and and firmly believe knowing from whom you have learned it. Now, Paul could be talking about himself here. Paul had certainly mentored and, and trained Timothy some. But I think more importantly, he's talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother. Second Timothy 1 5, he says that Paul says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Remember, who taught you the Christian faith, Timothy? Your grandmother. She sat you down on on her knee and she taught you about Jesus. She didn't have flannel boards in that day and age, but she she told the Bible stories. And your mother, she tucked you in at night, sharing with you a Bible verse, maybe on Sundays, taking you to, to church or whatever time they met and seeing that you heard the word of God. Paul says, remember who you learned these things from. Remember. Some of you can think back to your childhood or even your early adult life and you can think of Christians that that passed on the faith to you. Maybe it was a pastor teaching you the Word of God. Maybe it was a mother or a father reading Scripture to you. Maybe you can think of of some of the, the older people in the life of this church who have now gone home to be with the Lord and you think of how they faithfully taught Sunday school and you were that that six-year-old kid who came to church and they loved you and they taught you the faith and the same faith that they taught you is what you need to be anchored in today because the word of God doesn't change. We live in a world that changes all around us technology, good things can come up really quickly. Who knows by the end of 2017 what kind of computer speed we'll have or how fast our smartphones will be or what new app we'll have that we all need to download and use. It changes quickly. And so some people think that the the faith, the church needs to, to change to keep up or we'll be left behind, we'll be old, we'll be relegated to the dust pile. We may need to change some of the ways we talk to people and how we reach out and and show love. Just simple things, you know. 25 years ago, the church didn't have a website. We didn't advertise online. There was no online so that people could find your phone numbers. They had these ancient things called phone books where the phones were all listed out, the numbers. Well, now we, we make sure the phone number's online. That changes. That's not a problem. What doesn't change? 
the word of God, the truths that we teach, the doctrines that we that we pass on to our children. The same stories that that the generation before us, the same Bible lessons, the same messages, the same ideas about what we need to believe that were passed on to us. We have a responsibility to pass them on. To the next generation. There are a whole bunch of kids right now in the nursery and in children's church. And I hope that if the Lord doesn't return and we all die one day, those kids have the word of God and are passing it on to their children and maybe even their grandchildren. That's our mission. And we need to be in the Bible to do that. Notice that we need to be sure that we know our Bibles. Look at verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. First, Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. It's, It's a way of saying he knew the Scriptures. In a day and age before he had a Bible that he could carry home, He knew the Word of God. He was hearing it regularly, uh, digesting it. Perhaps in church, memorizing a verse so he had something to remember throughout the week. How much more do we have a responsibility? Because we now have Bibles that are bound into a single copy or downloaded into a single file on your handheld device, how much more do we need to be in the Scriptures so that we might be well acquainted with the sacred writings? And by the way, don't, don't think there of acquainted as like he had an acquaintance with them. You know, like, oh, I know so-and-so. They're, a, they're an acquaintance. It means he knew the Word of God. He was in it. He was being exposed to it. Acquainted in the sense of of really getting to know it from the time that he was a child. And it says the Bible is able to make us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Salvation that we have comes through Jesus Christ. The Bible opens our eyes to see the truth about Jesus. The preaching of the word needs to be of the scriptures because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to open eyes and we grow in grace and truth and 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 we become wise in that salvation it not only makes us wise leading up to salvation so that we might see the need and believe in jesus it makes us wise in our salvation second peter 2 first uh, peter 2 2 like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. We need to be hungry for the Word of God. Notice here what Paul says to Timothy, how from childhood you are acquainted with the sacred writings. If you have children, especially young children, get them into the Word of God. Learning the Bible is not like learning calculus. You would never sit down with your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old and pull out a calculus textbook and say, okay, let's start. 
our basic lessons. Calculus 101. You would, you would look at your child and you would say, we'll wait till you're older. We'll wait till you're ready. Don't do that with the Bible. You don't take the Bible and, and put it up on the shelf and say, we'll wait till you're ready. We'll wait to read the Word of God and, until we know that you can talk back. We'll wait till we can read the Word of God until we have, can have a conversation with you and explain to you the meaning of the Trinity. Till, till you can, can grasp words like imputation, atonement, propitiation, then we'll read you the Bible. Read them the Bible at every age. Get them into the Bible stories. Even, even if you don't read uh, a section of Scripture line by line, verse by verse, if you read just a few verses of it, or you're in the Old Testament and you, you just tell them the story so there's this growing familiarity with it. Or, or get them a, a nice children's Bible that, that, yes, it's not the Word of God directly as it was written, but at least you're starting them to be familiar. And then don't wait to get them uh, a regular Bible. And encourage them to bring it to church. Encourage them to listen to the teacher, to the Sunday school teacher. Teach them at home. Read your Bible out in the living room where they can see that you're reading it so that they want to read it too as they grow up. Read your Bible and read it to your children. I just was looking at uh, the twins this morning, Jeremiah and Jameson, and they were, they were sucking down a bottle uh, this morning while the worship team was practicing. And man, I'm sure, I'm sure those kids can eat. You know, I'm sure uh, all babies do. You know, they suck down that bottle. Wouldn't it be awesome if we desired the Word of God like that? Like a newborn baby? Wouldn't it be awesome if we passed it on to our children that way? That we said, you know, this is, this is feeding you. And, and we're not going to wait. We're going to feed you right from the start. Imagine, uh, imagine if Jill and Isaac said, you know, we're, we're going to wait to feed the kids until they grow up a little bit. You've got to feed them from the beginning. You've got to get your kids in the Word of God from the beginning. It's, it's like giving them oatmeal, right? You never outgrow oatmeal. Most of us probably still enjoy oatmeal, at least on occasions. But, but how long did your parents wait to give you oatmeal? I mean, they gave you oatmeal almost as soon as you could swallow. Maybe it was just the baby version of oatmeal, but it was oatmeal. The Word of God is the same way. Get in it and stay in it. And finally this morning, read the Bible because it is profitable for your spiritual growth. So look at verses 16 and 17. For all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness all scripture is breathed out by god it, it's it's god who has spoken it to us god used men to write it down human beings but but it is god's word his stamp of approval a seal is is upon it and it's not as if the men wrote it and then god said wow i I really like what you said there. Okay, boom, that's my word. It's, it's his word as if he himself had, had breathed it, just like you breathe when you're speaking. 
so that it bears all the authority of him telling it to you. It's the message from a king and it has his stamp on it because he spoke it. It's his word. B.B. Warfield in his classic book, Inspiration and Authority of Scripture, says this. What it says of Scripture is not that God breathed, that it is breathed into by God or is the product of, of divine in-breathing into its human authors, rather that it is breathed out by God. God breathed the product of the creative breath of God in a word What is declared by this fundamental passage is simply that the scriptures are a divine product without any indication of how God operated in producing them. Now, we know from second Peter, uh, second Peter one twenty one, it says no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so there we have this. God used human beings. He used men. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were, they were given what to say and write down. And, and they wrote it in regular human language with grammar and, and vocabulary that we can learn. But what Timothy, what Second Timothy is focusing on is the aspect of this is God's. We used to use the word inspiration. All Scripture is inspired by God. It means breathed out by God. The difficulty is today when most people think of inspiration as a word, they think of inspiring. Like, wow, that was so inspiring. That touched my heart. And so sometimes people think that that's what the passage means. That It just means that the Word of God is inspiring. It will, will make our hearts flutter. No, it means that God breathed it out. He spirated it. He, he breathed into it is where the, in, the original idea of the word inspiration came from. So it's profitable, meaning it's useful. It has a purpose. It will accomplish something in your life. It's profitable for teaching, meaning the Word of God will instruct you. It will inform you. It will show you the truth and, and teach you how to walk in it. You know how maybe your father or someone you loved took you out and taught you how to fish? They showed you the knots that they, you needed to make. They showed you how to put the worm on the hook and how to, how to cast it. And they, they showed you the laws, uh, when you can fish, when you can't fish. They showed you how to do it. They, they instructed you in the practice of fishing. The Word of God teaches us, not just filling our minds, but instructing our hearts, showing us how to live. It teaches us. It, it reproves us. It means to, to reproach, to, to refute error, to express strong disagreement even. Did you, when you were a kid, did your parent ever find you doing something wrong? You know, they walk into the room and your hand is caught in the cookie jar, so to speak, and they look at you and go... What are you doing? And they express strong disapproval. The Word of God, in the same way, rebukes us. Why does your, why does your parent walk in at that moment and say, What are you doing? Stop! They say it because they love you. 
They say it because they want to stop you from hurting yourself. What would you do if you found your kids playing with matches? You'd run in and be like, ah, stop. And, and, and you would express reproof. You would rebuke them. You would, you would be upset. You can't do this. This could burn the house down. You wouldn't just walk in passionately and calmly. And Now, let me explain to you the principles of combustion. This is how the science works. And then from there, say, now we should not play with matches. You'd be passionate about it. Why do we get upset when the Word of God is rebukes us? When it's passionate about calling out sins? Have you ever read the Old Testament prophets? Have you ever heard what Jesus did in the temple? The Word of God rebukes us because God loves us. We live in a day and age where we think any kind of rebuke, any kind of correction is bad. Even in our parenting today, we're, we're told that we, we just have to affirm kids. I was talking to someone who works somewhere in, in some uh, public school setting, after school care or whatever, and they are never allowed to tell the child that the child is wrong. It's considered damaging to the child. It might discourage them. Yeah, that's the point of telling them they're wrong. It discourages the behavior. It's good when a father and mother say that. It's good when God says it. Now, now I don't want to turn every sermon that I preach into a, a tirade of, of me just standing up here and yelling at you. And, and I, I don't want to be, you know, I want to follow the Word of God. And, and not every passage of the Word of God rebukes, right? So, so I don't want to just be a pastor who gets on my hobby horse and all the time I just yell at you and make you feel awful. Uh, as a parent, not only do you reprove your kids, correct them, but you, you, you love on them. You, you show them the good as well as calling out the bad. And, and that's what Scripture does. But, but we don't turn our backs on the rebuke because it stings some. It stings so that we might understand the love that God has. The Scriptures correct they, it means they improve. They, they show us the right way. They restore us. The, the point of Scripture is not only yelling at us, if I can say that, reproving the problem, but, but correcting the problem. You don't do any favors to your kids if all you do is yell at them when they disobey. You, you give them correction. After you've busted in on them and they're playing with matches and you've reproved them, you, you correct them. You come alongside and you say, do you see why matches are so dangerous? We don't want to risk burning the house down. You, you instruct them the right way to do things. We only light fires in the fireplace. I don't know. If, I've never had to say that to any of my kids, thankfully. But, but when I was a boy, I, I played with fire. I didn't play with it in the house, but I did play with fire on occasion as a teenager. You need to be reproved and corrected and there's a right use for fire and then there's the ways that i was using it but it trains us then in in righteousness showing us what to do how to behave to to equip us as it says for every good work 
The Word of God sets us on the right path. It, it points us to Jesus and then shows us how to walk in Jesus. Now, we don't get our salvation by obeying God, but, but once we've received salvation, it does instruct us how to walk. It, it's kind of like you know, if you go to the doctor and he, he prescribes to you the cure for cancer. You go to the Scriptures and it points out the problem, sin. And it prescribes the cure, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once the cancer is cured, so to speak, what does the doctor say? He, he lines up for you. Okay, now going forward, this is what a healthy lifestyle is going to look like. You're going to have to eat more greens. You're going to have to cut out bacon out of your diet because that bacon is clogging your arteries. You're going to have to exercise. He, he, he trains you and tries to get you on a regimen, if I can put it that way. The Word of God, it, it shows us the disease. It prescribes the cure, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then it trains us and instructs us how to walk in Him. I want to bring the challenge to you for 2016. Read your Bible. Read through your Bible in the whole year if you can do it. Why do we read our Bibles? Read through the Bible in a year because the, all of the Bible is the whole counsel of the Word of God. Reading your Bible should not be like some of us, particularly the husbands, shop in the grocery store. Come on, guys, you know how we shop. We, we, we hit the ice cream aisle. We hit the snack aisle. Maybe we get one dinner for the week and then we head home and the wives go, where's the rest of the food? What do you mean? We got ice cream. We got snacks. We're good. Reading the Bible should be be getting into all of it over time, not just picking the parts out that I really like. Although it's great if you have sections that you like, amen, read them again. But read all of God's word. If all of God's word is breathed out. Don't you think we need to be in all of it? If your spouse sent you 66 love letters, how would it look if you only read like five of them? Even if you kept rereading those five, wouldn't you want to know what, what are in the other 61? How, how would it look if you took those, those five love letters and you say, I have 10 verses in here, 10 sentences that I really like. And I'm just going to read this year one sentence every day. Or one sentence once a week. What would your spouse say to you? They wouldn't be happy. I, I wrote you 66. If, if all of Scripture is God-breathed, let me just encourage you. Spend time in all of it. Do it in a year. If you can't do it in a year, take two years. Read a chapter a day until you say, I've gotten through all of it. One of the coolest things that happened to me when we left our church in Mount Pocono, uh, I always give one of these out. It's, it's a reading through the Bible in a year list. And I, I have some for you today. So you have a present to go home with. A happy new year. Uh, but a lady came up to me, and, and it was like the middle of the summer. And she handed it to me, and they were all crossed out. And she said, it took me longer than a year but I got it all. 
and I want you to have it. And I saved it. It's, it's actually in, in my office. And, and she, she, wasn't a, she, she liked to read, but it was, it was just tough for her. But she did it. The first time I did it as a, a young man, it, it took me longer than a year. That's okay. Set the goal. If you can do it in a year, do it. If you missed some of last year, just start back again. Take, take another one and start marking off January 1st, January 2nd, or, or whatever. Uh, but read the Bible in a year. Let me, so let me ask you this. Have you ever read the whole Bible? For some of us, I'm sure there's some parts where we're like, you know, I don't, I don't think I've read that, or I haven't read it recently. Second, regular reading builds familiarity. Uh, the only way to get more out of Scripture, really, is to read and reread. Uh, a couple years ago, I reread uh, a science fiction series, a trilogy, from one of my favorite science fiction authors. I hadn't read his this particular books in probably about a decade and a half. And when I reread it, even though I knew the plot, I knew how it ended, I, I picked up on details that I hadn't seen before. Uh, little clues that the author had put in along the way about what was going to happen to the bad guy or what the bad guy's plan was. It, it was fascinating. You felt like you got to know the author a little bit better, the way his mind works. He, he, the author, one of the reasons I like reading him, he often puts in plot twists. But the more that you read him, the more you see he drops these subtle signals. You, you start to get in tune with the mind of the author. When you read Scripture, you, you start to get in tune with the mind of the author. When you reread sections you've already read, you, you see things that you have never seen there before. I don't care if you're 10 years old and you're reading the Bible or if you're 90 years old and you're reading it through for the hundredth time. You will see things in Scripture that you have not noticed before. The Lord will speak to you. The Holy Spirit, if you pray and trust Him, He will use the Word of God. Let me give you some practical tips. First, pick a readable translation. Pick something with plain English that you can read. If you like the King James Version, that's great. I'm not bashing it. But unless you speak the King James English every day with these and thous, don't, don't use that for your daily Bible reading. Pick a, a readable. I like the, the English Standard Version is what we preach from. You can use the New American Standard Version. The NIV is a great version. I grew up using that. Some of the older NIV versions are still good. Pick a plan for reading the Bible. Take my through the Bible in a year. Use this. Cross it out every day. You get one uh, two chapters from the Old Testament and one chapter from the New Testament. So you can do the plan that way. Or you can say, I'm just going to read straight through from beginning to end, so I'll do about three chapters a day, and I'll do it that way. You can read a little of the Old Testament and New Testament every day. You can buy a Bible in a year. They, they actually publish the Bibles so that, that there's divisions for the day, and they usually have like Old Testament, New Testament, a psalm, and then like a verse from Proverbs. You can do that. Robert Murray McChaney has a Bible reading program. You can find it online where you do four chapters a day, and it's from four different places in the Bible. If you, if you are the type of person that your mind easily is distracted and wanders and you don't like sitting and reading a large chunk, you're just doing four chapters. It, it kind of breaks it up for you, and it's different places, so it, 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 you won't feel monotony uh, if you're the kind of person that's easily distracted uh, in your readings. Other ideas, you can journal uh, while you read, take a few notes. 
Um, pick a consistent time and place. If you want to build a habit, you have to do it regularly. For some, that's first thing in the morning while you're eating your breakfast, before you eat breakfast. For some, that's late at night, maybe over your lunch break. Uh, last tip, there's an app for that. You can download Bible apps. And you can download these apps that send you reminders and tell you what today's reading is. You can find the through the Bible in a year. You can find Old Testament, New Testament through the Bibles in a year. You can find, um, you can get them emailed to your inbox if, if you're the kind of person that that would remind you and you wouldn't just hit delete right away. Whatever works for you. You, you have a, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to tools. Just find something. Use one thing. Don't try like six different through the Bible in a year apps all at once. You know, just pick one and use it. Let me just couple common excuses you hear sometimes. One, I'm not a good reader. Well, that's fine, uh, but practice makes perfect. You know, if your kids said they weren't good at basketball, you'd say, okay, fine, just go out and practice. Practice. Reading a little bit more than you read the day before will turn you into a good reader. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't understand it very well. I can't handle it like you do on a Sunday or in Sunday school. That's fine, but, but God has given his word to feed the sheep. God doesn't give his word to the scholars. He gives his word to each one of us, the sheep, so that we might be fed. Parts of the Bible are hard, you might say. Well, Scripture has said in this passage, all of Scripture is profitable. And the only way it's going to become less hard is for you to spend more time in it. It's hard isn't an excuse. I look at some passage in Leviticus, Chronicles, other places in the Old Testament, and it's hard sometimes for me to read through them. But the more you read it, the more familiarity you get with it the easier it is the next time and and my goodness if you read something in scripture you know and you don't understand it shoot shoot me an email or talk to somebody else at church that's a sunday school teacher is a little more knowledgeable than you wouldn't it be awesome if we were talking more in the coming year about what we're reading in our bibles that would be great then the last common excuse is i don't have time i know we're all busy, some of us to greater degrees than others. But all I can really say to that is just the old truism, you make the time for the things that are most important to you. And I'm just trying to say that to you in, in honesty. Like we all have time. It's a question of how we're using our time. Maybe you have to cut out your, your favorite TV show or some extra activity in your life so you can just say, look, I just, I need 15 minutes a day or 25 minutes a day just to read my Bible because it's God's Word. This morning when you leave, I'm not going to let you out the door without taking one of these. But let me challenge you. Read your Bible in the new year. Enjoy reading your Bible. Don't just, okay, fine, the pastor told me. But, but have fun with it. You're hearing from God. How awesome is that? God doesn't speak to us in the, in, in the subtle impressions, in, in the mystical mist of, of the quiet. He speaks to us in His Word. 
And He gave you this. And you get to take it home. And if you don't have a copy, I will buy you a copy. If you don't know how to download a Bible app, me or somebody who gets it will tell you how to download a Bible app. But read the Bible this year. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just give us an excitement for your word. Give us a hunger for it. That we would devour it like, like little children devour the newborn milk from their mothers. Lord, grow us in our spiritual life. Show us, as you say, that all of God's word is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we might be equipped for every good work. Amen. We're going to take a moment and we're going to uh, celebrate communion uh, this morning. I'm going to ask some of the guys, uh, Jeff and Ken and, and Matt and their colleagues, would you mind coming to help celebrate communion today? Uh, as we go before communion, I'm just going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Communion is the celebration of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but particularly His death, which is uh, the punishment, uh, which is paying the punishment for our sins. 